All right, folks, welcome into Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Wednesday night. I'm going to keep this one brief. I wasn't at the game tonight. Uh, just kind of home with a, a pretty bad stomach bug, ache, whatever you want to call it, but wanted to kind of sequester myself away from other media members tonight. If I feel better tomorrow, I'll go, but I watched this one from home, so I'm, I'm recording this one a little bit earlier than normal, uh, so I'll hopefully try to get this one out by about midnight or so. Uh, the Nuggets, they won this game. Uh, it wasn't looking good towards the end, and they uh, they had done their work early. They were up 13 points with ten, uh, three minutes left in the game, and things sort of fell apart, but they still won. Final score, 114-112. This was an interesting game, and I thought that Denver, they, they looked like they were in control for this entire time. That was my my sort of impression here, that Denver, they knew that they were the better team. Uh, the Pelicans, they came out with zero energy whatsoever. Denver let them get back into it a little bit. Uh, the Pelicans shot pretty well, uh, 40% from three. Denver shot 31% from three. Uh, that was a, a big deciding factor in terms of how close it actually got at the end. But uh, no amount of percentages or, or whatever Denver had done before the last three minutes should really excuse what happened in the last three minutes of this game. To be up 13 with three minutes and 10 seconds left in the game and have six turnovers in the final two minutes and 45 seconds, helping the Pelicans cut the lead to two points so that there's a, a chance that this game could be absolutely lost. Uh, that was a really, really bad way for Denver to handle this. And they get a pass for a number of reasons. Uh, this group with Compazzo, Dozier, Porter, Gordon, Jokic, they've had to play a lot of minutes lately. They've had a lot of, a lot of responsibility lately. Uh, physically, emotionally, and I, I tend to think that, look, th- there was a lot of fluke stuff that happened in this game, including Michael Porter Jr. rolling his ankle, and prob- like I think that definitely impacted him in the last few minutes as well. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I thought that the, the big story of this game tonight was that fourth quarter collapse. Uh, six turnovers in the final two minutes and 45 seconds. Uh, at one point, Denver is up by a significant margin uh, with about two minutes and 20 left. Uh, Jokic gets the ball, pitches it ahead to Michael Porter Jr., who takes a contested three with about 22 seconds on the shot clock. Uh, Michael Malone was irate. And Denver's just lucky that in so many of these situations, like Faku Campazzo, Nikola Jokic pick and roll, Faku chucks the ball out of bounds, uh, Pelicans, they did make some difficult shots, including Eric Bledsoe banking in a three. Uh, like Eric Bledsoe was really, really, really bad at the beginning of this game. He turned things around, but uh, Denver should never have let things get to this point. And even at the last play, uh, Jokic has the inbound pass. Uh, Denver tries to get free. Jokic tries to throw the ball to MPJ, but MPJ kind of fades away from the passing angle that Jokic tried to throw. And uh, then the Pelicans have an opportunity with a turnover to go right to the rim. And 
Brandon Ingram dishes the ball off to Zion Williamson right under the rim, and here's the play that got a lot of people riled up, especially New Orleans Pelicans fans. Uh, Nikola Jokic gets a block on Zion at the rim with two seconds left, up two. Uh, This is Zion Williamson. This is one of the most ferocious at-rim finishers in the NBA. Uh, Nikola Jokic is not exactly a defensive savant at the rim, but he does a great job in clutch situations of making plays. The real question about it was whether this was a block, whether it was a foul. Uh, Here's what I do know. He definitely got ball at the start of this, and maybe part of the hand on the ball at the beginning of his swipe, when when he tried to swipe the ball out of Zion Williams' hands. He definitely clearly followed through and hit the wrist afterwards, uh, and the refs definitely swallowed their whistles because it was a final play. There was enough contact, I think, that it could have warranted a foul, uh, but I don't know. I don't know what they would ultimately have called. We will definitely see the last two-minute report. But it is what it is, because Denver has had those situations happen to them, where I think back always to the, the season opener, where Denver... Nikola Jokic is at the top of the at the top of the key uh, on offense trying to just get the ball in and and then get a shot up. Rashawn Holmes slaps his wrist or Buddy Heald or, or Harrison Barnes or whoever it was uh, just slaps his wrist, slaps the ball out of his hands and Jokic turns the ball over because of a blatant non-foul call. And then the Kings go on to win the game at the buzzer because of it. So this happens. Like, this happens all around the NBA. The Pelicans, they've had it happen where Rudy Gobert fouls Brandon Ingram a couple times, uh, where Zion Williamson doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. So this does happen to them, and it, it may happen to them an egregious amount. But this was such a bang-bang call that if a ref didn't necessarily have a great great angle on it, then you don't want to call that foul because it looked, at least from my opinion— on Denver's broadcasts and and from where I was sitting, that Jokic got the ball, that he got that he got the block, and I don't know if a ref had a good angle on the foul call, and if that's the case, then I don't really blame them for not calling it and just assuming that he called a foul, because you want the players to decide the game. But it is what it is. Uh, we'll see what they say on the last two minute report tomorrow. My guess is that it will probably say that Jokic got away with one, and that's okay. Denver's gotten away with ones in the past as well. The star of tonight's game was by far Faku Campasso. Big time stuff from Faku tonight. Denver had gotten into a little bit of a rut in that fourth quarter. And their, their bench offense was really stagnant. They brought in Faku to try to get them out of it. A uh, couple things weren't really working. And they tried to get as much... Uh, as much ball movement and creation out there as possible, but it wasn't necessarily working well. Faku, after they go through a rut, takes the ball, goes into a pick and roll. The defender goes way under the screen, and he pulls up from three and hits a very important shot that gets Denver, I think, from an 84-80 lead to an 87-80 lead. That was really, really important in sort of getting Denver back on track, and and Faku hit a couple of those shots, especially in the clutch. All in all, he finished with 19 points, 10 assists, gets his first career double-double, and a career high in points. 
Six rebounds, two steals, and a block. Six of nine from the field, three of six from three, which means he went three of three inside the arc. And then four of four at the free throw line. He was the third guy tonight. Denver had Michael Porter Jr. step up. Obviously, Nikola Jokic stepped up in that third quarter. But Denver needed somebody else who could step in when so many players were struggling. And Faku was that guy. Uh, Denver hit 10 threes as a team. Faku hit three of them. Uh, And a lot of them came in important moments as well. And so sometimes it's not about the number of shots or the number of threes that you hit. It's about when you hit them. And Faku just had a great sense of timing tonight. Uh, He made some big shots. He doubled on DeZion and, and Brandon Ingram constantly forced some really bad decisions from those guys at times. The Pelicans had 21 turnovers tonight. And it wasn't just Faku or anything, but I thought he was the head of the snake in terms of speeding up the Pelicans, in terms of making them make bad decisions. That's all you have to do in that situation, because Denver's other defenders are pretty good. They'll make they'll make it happen if, if he gambles on one here or there, so what? He outplayed the Pelicans guards in those crucial moments. When Denver needed buckets, when they needed creation, he was the guy to get them across the finish line. And that was really, really important. Nikola Jokic uh, had 16 of his 32 points in the third quarter alone. uh, Created 21 of Denver's 27 third quarter points. He was, again, great. Uh, Steven Adams started this game. Played 13 minutes, most of those coming with Jokic on the floor. Uh, I think all of them, actually. And Steven Adams left at halftime. He had, I think, rolled his ankle, or he had an injury that he was dealing with. Steven Adams did. And he couldn't go in the second half. So they put Willie Hernan Gomez on him. And I thought he, I thought Hernan Gomez, uh, Wancho's older brother, did a really nice job on Jokic, and it just didn't matter a lot of the time. Uh Jokic, like 32 points, 12 of 20 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3. Both of those threes were just so important. Uh, had 7 rebounds, 8 assists. Uh, surprised he didn't have as many rebounds tonight. That was uh, That's something to monitor. Uh, Denver got out-rebounded 36, uh, 42 to 38. So keep that in mind. Uh, but 8 rebounds, or no, eight, 8 assists, 7 rebounds. Three steals, three blocks, including the key one at the end. He does a lot of great things defensively, and it's not always perfect, but it is clear that Denver can build a competitive defense around him. There are fewer and fewer matchups where he's a problem. Uh, Maybe the Steph Curry, Draymond pick and roll is a problem. We'll see what happens with the LeBron James, Anthony Davis at center pick and roll. But I am looking forward to seeing how he continues to handle it and what he continues to do in a playoff environment, because as the MVP of this team and of this league, he just continues to get better And three steals and three blocks. I don't know if he's had a line like that before. I think he has, but it's very rare where he's as capable on both ends. And this was a really, really good and impressive performance from him. Um, okay. Tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about Michael Porter and the bench. But first, uh, I don't know if you guys saw it today, but 
the Broncos, they traded for Teddy Bridgewater, and he is going to be a very interesting piece that they add to their quarterback room. Uh, with the draft coming up, uh, it's the most exciting day of the season for some teams. Uh, whether your team has the first pick or the last, the Broncos have the ninth. DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing the excitement to you. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is adding to the thrill of the draft with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets if a quarterback is drafted first overall on Thursday night. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. All you have to do is place a wager on any draft day outcome, and you will be eligible to win $100 in free bets if a quarterback is selected first overall. That is basically guaranteed at this point. So make sure that you sign up before the draft starts. Make sure you you get your bets in. There are a number of ways to take action on the draft, so head over to the app now to see what DraftKings Sportsbook is offering for Thursday night's main event. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use uh, promo code MHS when you sign up for the chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. Don't forget to enter code MHS during sign-up. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. See uh, winnings paid out in free bets. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Back, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you haven't, please leave a rating review on iTunes. That would be awesome. I just got my 69th five-star review, which is super cool. I do have 70 reviews, uh, but there there was one uh, one-star review that showed up in there. So show yourself, human. Uh, I would I would love to to talk to you about where I need to improve. But uh, uh, all good. I, I just appreciate everybody for helping this program grow as much as it has. It's been awesome. You guys are the best. Without you, none of it would be possible. So thank you. Let's talk MPJ. Uh, he is still in the growth stage, to be clear. Uh, I thought this was a game tonight where you could really see the talent shine through. 28 points, 8 rebounds, 1 assist, 1 steal, 1 block. Did a lot of good things especially from a scoring perspective, but uh, I thought tonight was a great example of just his talent carrying him, where there were a lot of situations where I didn't think he handled it the best way. Uh, and that that's going to come with the territory at times, because remember, he's still 22 years old. He is in his second year. This is his first time really operating as the, the second option. And most of the time, he's done a really, really nice job of fitting in, not doing, not trying to do too much. But when he does do a lot, like he, he's doing it within the scope of what he knows he can do and does it well. I thought tonight, not his best defensive work. Uh, Brandon Ingram, he's the more, most talented player he's faced in a little bit. Uh, most of the time, he's facing guys like Dylan Brooks. Uh, who else has Denver faced lately, honestly? Like let me let me just go through some of their wins here. Uh, he faced Andrew Wiggins and and uh, Kelly uh, Kelly Oubre wasn't anything special. 
Robert Covington, nah. Um, Memphis, Dylan Brooks again. Uh, Houston, he faced Jayshon Tate. Uh, Miami, he faced, uh, who did he defend in that game? I think it was Trevor Ariza who he defended. It might have been somebody else, but it's been a while since he's had to, to defend anybody really super impressive. And, and Brandon Ingram's probably the most talented guy he's defended in a while. So I thought he got beat on several occasions tonight. I thought that his defense overall wasn't very good. Uh, the play that got the Pelicans back rolling again on the on the offensive end late in that fourth quarter started with a hammer set where Porter lost track of his man and then ran into a screen and died on it. It gave Brandon Ingram plenty of time to uh, then hit the shot that they needed to, to come back. And if Porter stays more engaged, if he stops ball watching a little bit, he'll do a little bit better. Uh, but again, he turned his ankle and let's talk about that ankle. He, uh, it was about at the six-minute mark, five-minute mark, or something like that, where he and the Nuggets and the Pelicans, they had a, a really poor run of going up and down the floor. Uh, it didn't look, it wasn't the best work from, from either of those teams. There was a lot that was let go. Uh, it might have been earlier than that, like, let's say eight-minute mark. Uh, a lot of uh, contact let go. Uh, Denver finally gets the ball. Aaron Gordon gets it. Michael Porter cuts. Aaron Gordon dishes it to him. Michael Porter shoots the ball and uh, gets the layup. Thought it was going to be an and one. Lonzo Ball kind of undercut him a little bit. And then Michael Porter rolled his ankle on Lonzo Ball. Uh, and then he fell really hard on his back. And I that, that was the scariest part for me. It wasn't the, the ankle roll initially. It was just how he collapsed to the ground as hard as he did. And we've all had the fear with him when he falls. Like, he hasn't fallen in a long time that hard. But when he falls on that back after those two surgeries he's had, you start to think your your life flashes before your eyes a little bit. And it's it was pretty scary. He popped up. He still played. Had to walk it off a little bit. but And it was clearly still ginger. Uh but he played, and that was important, and we'll see whether the ankle is bothering him, whether he takes some time off for a sore back. I don't know. I don't know what they ultimately do. We'll just have to see how they handle it. He did hit a three after rolling it, and, and that was the one where it was clear that he was just going to hit that shot because he's so talented. Uh, but then he proceeded to make some really bad mental mistakes, and I am... Going to give him a pass for that because it's been a while since he's gone down like that. And I think he, he got a little bit rattled. Uh, but as Denver is without as many guys as they are, Morris, Murray, Barton, those guys you all trust in the clutch. You all trust them to make the right play. And and with the ball in their hands, you feel pretty comfortable about what Denver decides to do, barring an unforeseen moment. With Porter... He's still growing into that, and and he had some decent moments tonight, but a lot of the times when he was making decisions, New Orleans benefited directly for it. Uh, Denver had the ball, or no, New Orleans had the ball. Uh, I think they were down nine. They get a three, and then the Nuggets inbound the ball. Jokic inbounds it directly to MPJ, and MPJ turns the ball over right to Brandon Ingram, who immediately dunks it. So the deficit gets cut from six down to four 
where it was nine like five seconds prior. So bad moment there. Uh, there was the miscommunication between him and Jokic on the out-of-bounds play with about nine seconds left to go. I thought that Porter faded away from the passing angle that Jokic was trying to get. But those guys, they just don't have a lot of uh they don't have a lot of chemistry trying to create at the end of games like this. So it's gonna take a village, it's gonna take a while, it's gonna take some patience, and it's gonna take some growing pains. But this is all a part of the growth curve for him. Uh, he has to learn how to handle this, and the Nuggets have to learn his tendencies and how to trust him while also putting him on the path of righteousness. Uh, we will see how they handle it. We'll see what they do. Uh, for now, I'm mostly just worried about the ankle uh, and, and the back to some extent. If he plays, if he looks good on Thursday, then I'll feel good. If they give him the day off and, and say, okay, hey, he just has to take a little bit of a rest, then we'll see. But it would be nice to see how he goes up against uh, Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi in this matchup. Uh, the last time Denver faced Toronto, they started MPJ, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic. But Ananobi and Siakam, they played the four and the five, which meant that Porter was on Norman Powell. And he did a really bad job against Norman Powell that game, but he wasn't the only guy playing bad defense. Uh, I think everybody played bad defense that game. But we'll see. And then we'll see about Paul George and maybe Kawhi Leonard on Saturday against the Clippers. That is something that I'm monitoring. Aaron Gordon tonight, uh, he started off the game pretty well. I thought that the decisions that he made around the rim, the cuts, the off-ball movements, uh, creating a shot here or there, he had some really good moments, and he had some good moments defending Zion Williamson early. That was a, a really good sign where Denver, they didn't bring they didn't bring Aaron Gordon in to defend Zion Williamson. But Aaron Gordon is strong enough and smart enough that he was able to do it, at least at the beginning, pretty well. Struggled as the game went on a little bit. Zion got into a rhythm, got Gordon into foul trouble. Got him with uh, five fouls for uh, pretty pretty early, relatively into the fourth quarter. Uh, Gordon needs to be better late game. He was very deferential in, in the fourth quarter, and... That was fine. You want to see him kind of strike that balance between when Denver is just heavily relying on Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter, guys like that. Aaron Gordon has to also be able to step up when need be because you see what happens when Michael Porter goes down. Uh, Denver takes him out briefly, I think. Or, or there was a time in that second quarter where Jokic was being surrounded by uh, P.J. Dozier, Austin Rivers, Shaq Harrison, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic. And that lineup couldn't space the floor. Aaron Gordon only gets up 1-3 tonight. Doesn't look very comfortable shooting from the outside. He was a team low minus 14. Uh, I'm not sure whether that was all on him, whether it was just kind of a product of circumstance. So I'd have to go back and watch. Uh, but it certainly felt like he started off the game pretty well and then petered out. That's not what you want. That's not what you want to see. Denver needed that help down the stretch, and he didn't provide it. Uh, we're going to see how he evolves here. Um, him defending Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi really well on Thursday, that would help. Uh, him defending Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on Saturday, 
that would really help as well. Maybe he gets back into a frame of mind where he's doing something that he's familiar with, plays that plays that really well. Uh, but it's it's been a really weird up and down run from Aaron Gordon of late. And and he's again the guy that I've said previously, I think has been affected the most of anybody by Denver circumstances where they they've lost all three of their ball handlers. Jokic is talented enough to handle that. Porter is talented enough to handle that. P.J. Dozier kind of steps into that Will Barton role. Faku Campasso kind of steps into that Monte Morris role. But Aaron Gordon's role, like, he changes because P.J. isn't Will, uh, at least not yet. And Faku isn't Monte. Though those two have different strengths, they're more defensive-minded. Aaron then needs to be more offensive-minded. So we're going to see how they handle it. We're going to see how he does. Uh, But let's move on. Bench unit. Tonight was a Paul Millsap JaVale McGee night, and there was a pretty distinct lack of spacing when those guys were out there. It was very apparent, and all uh, four of Denver's starters, Porter, Jokic, Campazzo, and, and Dozier, they each hit multiple threes. They were the only players on the team to hit threes. The bench tonight went 0 of 7. Uh, they had 17 points tonight as a group. And 21 shots for that bench. Uh, Paul Millsap, I thought he had some good moments. He, he got up for an alley-oop in transition. Uh, he uh, he had a nice post-up against uh, against Zion Williamson. Blocked Zion Williamson on an occasion. Uh, it wasn't perfect, but he was a plus 14. He led the team in plus-minus tonight. Uh, plus 14 in 19 minutes and a two-point victory. That feels pretty impactful to me. Seven points, five rebounds, two assists, two steals, a block. I thought that JaVale McGee did a nice job behind him most of the time from a defensive perspective. Uh, Had two blocks, had three rebounds. Offensively, he wasn't a factor in any way, shape, or form. And we're going to have to figure that out. I think he's definitely affected by a guy like Shaq Harrison not necessarily spacing the floor. Austin Rivers hasn't spaced the floor at all. Now, we're, we're kind of in that stage with Austin Rivers where he was 3 of 16 from 3 heading into this game. Now he's 3 of 20, down to 15%. He's done some good things, had four steals tonight, was a part of a really strong defensive unit with that bench, especially in the second quarter. I wonder if Denver... They, they need to get three-point spacing with that group. And... I don't know how they get it with the current kind of ensemble that they have, but that's one of the reasons why you like the Millsap to Michael Green pairing. It's because both of those guys can hit threes. They don't always. Uh, Millsap 0 of 3 tonight hasn't hit his three in a while, but he can hit threes. Jermichael Green over 40% from three. JaVale McGee is not a three-point shooter. Shaq Harrison's not a three-point shooter. Austin Rivers has not been a three-point shooter, but he is. He just hasn't had to go in. Faku Campazzo, P.J. Dozier, those guys, if they're if they're the best floor spacer out there, then that's an issue. So we'll see. We'll see how Denver handles it. They may do more staggering of Porter with that second unit. Uh, he had some moments with that tonight. I wonder how they continue to handle it going forward. I don't really have anything else of note from this game. Uh, This was a game, I just thought that Denver, they looked really good for most of it. And there were moments where they were down. 
in the first like 45 minutes of this game where I always felt like okay they can come back from this let's let's not let's not stress too much about it here Zion Williamson's gonna get his Brandon Ingram's gonna get his Eric Bledsoe hit a couple shots Lonzo Ball hit a couple shots but other than that Denver's the more talented team and they showed it and then kind of that fourth quarter collapse happened right at the end and things started getting a little bit hairy. Denver will have to talk about that. They'll have to figure it out. It was an aberration, though. Six turnovers in the last three minutes, uh, giving up a 13-point lead in the last three minutes. That's uh, that's wild. Like That just doesn't happen. It, it will probably never happen to this group again, uh, knock on wood. But we'll see. We'll see what they ultimately do. We'll see how they respond on Thursday. But For now, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to do Throwback Thursday and check in on the standings. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Let's do Throwback Thursday. I haven't done this in a little bit. I haven't really been on segment of late. Uh, just been a lot going on, and, and there's been a lot to talk about game to game. So I haven't had a lot of time to do prepared segments, but I, I did it this time, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, I wanted to talk about MPJ's journey, kind of his journey back to where he was when the Nuggets drafted him in 2018, and, and even before that, uh, Denver... They didn't know what they were going to get with Michael Porter Jr. They, they, it was a wild card when they drafted him in 2018. Uh, Denver, they did, they just, they didn't know. They had heard about the medicals. They, they thought that okay, didn't look good, but they knew the talents. They knew what he could be, and so they took a chance. And so I asked Michael Malone pregame today. Uh, about Michael about Michael Porter Jr.'s long journey back and, and like what he takes pride in there. Uh, and I'm just going to read this full quote. Michael Malone. Sometimes I look back and kind of appreciate Michael's journey. It hasn't been an easy one. You know, he misses a year at Missouri, and since he's come to the NBA, missed his first season. So that's two full years without playing basketball. And seeing him that first year, he's here... Uh, Seeing him that first year he's here, there were some really tough days going through that process of trying to rehab and get back to being able to play a game that you love. That's not easy for anybody. Jamal Murray is going to go through that now, so we have to help him through those dark days. But I think it speaks to Michael's resolve, his toughness, his toughness mentally and physically, getting through that. And we saw it in the bubble last year before the playoffs started. Michael played great. Throughout the playoffs, we saw some moments where he elevated his game. And you can kind of see, this guy has the chance to live up to the potential and the hype. Now, obviously, with the guys that we have out due to injury, Michael's been given an even greater platform. And he's doing a hell of a job with that. So, definitely proud of him. And sometimes, I think, myself and all of us have to look back, to really look back upon where he started and where he's at. And the most exciting thing is that he's not done. There's still so much room for him to grow, which, if you're a Nuggets fan, you have to be thrilled about. I thought that was a really great thought from Michael Malone. 
and it, it didn't get a lot of run pregame. I, I got the quote up late. That's my fault, but I wasn't there. I didn't record. Uh, but I thought that this was a really, really indicative moment for him. That Michael Malone is really coming around to Michael Porter Jr. And it wasn't because now Michael Porter Jr. is buying in. He bought in back then. He bought into the, the vision that Denver laid out for him, the process that they laid out. It took him a while to figure out exactly how to do it. But two surgeries, uh, that's a really tough thing to come back from, especially with the back, because people were, they were red flagging him and saying that he should not be drafted if you have a first round pick. That's how bad it was. People have been red flagged before, and, and OG Ananobi was one of those guys that was red flagged for knee stuff when he was in the draft, and it worked out for OG. But with Michael, he just didn't know. Denver, they they took their initial steps with him in the Colorado Springs training camp. I remember that. That was the first time I had gone down to a training camp. Uh, I believe that, yeah, that was my that was my first time covering something like super seriously as the site manager. And there were some initial steps that they took down there. It was Will Barton's job at small forward, and Tory Craig was a guy that was a candidate, but it was never really anybody but Will's to lose. But Michael Porter Jr. was putting on a show in the runs, uh, whenever he was going up against people five-on-five, one-on-one, he was killing them. And you could see the talent for sure. But there were lots of rookie mistakes in that rookie year. He was talented. He showed it, but he wasn't trustworthy. But then there was a lot of growth in the bubble. From the point of no return in that Game 3 against the Utah Jazz, where he was being picked apart, he was being picked on. Denver ultimately benches him for Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant slides to the 3. And Porter comes off the bench for the rest of that playoffs. And he does a really nice job with it. I thought that he was a part of Denver's most important groups throughout that playoff run. It was the Murray, Porter, Grant, Jokic trio that really stepped up and did their job. And I liked what I saw enough to say, okay, this is something that Denver is going to have for going forward. That If they could just re-sign Jeremy Grant, then they're going to be great. And Jeremy Grant leaves. And it puts Denver in a really tough position. And Michael Porter, he had to learn how to grow and be the best version of himself without Jeremy Grant as kind of a safety blanket. He had to play a lot more three than I think people realized. Playing next to Paul Millsap in the starting unit, Jermichael Green. uh, There was just not a lot of room for him to play with more space. Kind of like what we thought he could. Then injuries kind of drag him to the fore. They they show that he uh like and the first that that valley that he hit early in the season against Boston, after getting COVID, came back from he he was on the bench uh, after coming back from COVID, came off the bench for seven games, then he ultimately came back, was reinserted into the starting lineup, was up and down, scored zero points on zero of eight from the field against uh, Boston, in a bad loss. And he had to sort of reset, had to do a mental reset, changed his routine, 
and did a lot to stay the course and just keep moving forward. And that's how I would describe from that point on, it was just a keep moving forward mentality. You're just not going to look in the rear view, not going to look at the previous days and just going to keep looking at the next day and how he could get better, how he could improve. And he's done that to his credit. It was getting his mind right defensively at the beginning. Then it was finding his places to shoot. Off the ball, spot-ups, cuts, that was it. Then it was incorporating him into some off-ball actions. He was incorporating him as an off-ball cutter, as an off-ball shooter, uh, running some, some sets that featured him a little bit more. And now it's taking over and really showing some leadership. Really showing that he deserves to be the guy that Denver has put so much time and effort into developing. He has stayed the course. He has developed nicely. Denver is very happy with what's happened over the course of these last couple of years. It was a lot of pain. It was a lot of suffering. It was a lot of growth. But ultimately, it's going to pay off. And it really already has because he's in a situation now where he's a star. He's fully stepped up into that role that Jamal Murray has left. And has done just such a great job of filling in the gap. So a lot of credit to Michael Porter Jr. for staying the course and just being a baller, man. Like that dude, he, he does so many incredible things. So gets a pass for tonight. Not going to really worry about it. But still, he scored 28 points on 21 shots. What do people really want to talk about here? He's incredible. Okay, I said I'll do a quick standings update and I'm going to. Uh, number one is the Jazz at 45 and 17. The Suns are at two at 44 and 18. One game back, they play each other on Friday. So that could be a game for the one seed because I'm pretty sure they split, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Clippers, they just lost to the Suns tonight. Clippers are at 43 and 21. They are now three games back in the loss column of the Suns, and the Suns clinched the tiebreaker, if I'm not mistaken. The Nuggets are 41-21. and They are tied in the loss column with the Clippers. So, the Clippers don't play until the Nuggets play them on Saturday. The Nuggets do play. They play on Thursday. They play against the Toronto Raptors, second night of a back-to-back. Fortunately, they don't have to travel. But Michael Porter is coming off of a game where he rolls his ankle, so we will see how they ultimately handle it. If Denver happens to win that one, which would be a really good win, if they do win that one, they would move to 42-21, and 21, which means they'd be one win back of the Clippers and tied in the loss column. Then, if Denver were to happen to win on Saturday, Denver would be 43-21, and 21, which is where the Clippers currently are, but the Clippers would drop a game. They dropped the 22 losses. Not only would Denver move ahead of them for the third seed, but they would clinch the tiebreaker on the season. That means that if Denver were to finish tied with the Clippers at the end of the season, then Denver would have the tiebreaker and they would be able to move ahead into that three seed. Here's why this matters. The Lakers are at five, 36 and 26. The Mavericks are at six, 34 and 27. The Blazers are at seven, 34 and 28. 
All of those teams are within a couple games of each other now. Anthony Davis hasn't looked great since coming back with the Lakers. He's still getting his feet wet. If LeBron comes back and like he sounds like he may be coming back for when Denver plays them on that on this this coming Monday. We will see about that. But if he comes back and they still drop to the sixth seed, then whoever's in the three six has to play the Lakers now. If they stay in the five, which they're not moving higher than that anymore. Denver's now five games up on them. That's done. If Denver stays in the four seed and the Lakers stay in the five seed, you've got a Nuggets-Lakers matchup. If the Lakers do stay in the five seed because LeBron comes back and kind of gets them into gear, and then the Nuggets pass the Clippers, puts the Nuggets on the other side of the bracket, and it puts the Clippers and the Lakers on one side, where they have to face each other in the first round of the playoffs. That would be incredible. It would be a great sign for Denver that if they were able to beat their first-round series, uh, then they they have as good of a chance of anybody of moving on into the playoffs. That's what you're looking for if you're the Nuggets. You want to find as a you want to find a way to last as long as possible, in my opinion. Because Nikola Jokic is that talented and that good. If he could figure it out, give Monte Morris, Will Barton as much time as possible to come back, be healthy, be contributors. Maybe Michael Porter steps up into that second role. He steps up as that star and just fills the gap that Jamal Murray has left. Denver's talented enough. They've shown it. The three seed is back in play. Because I think that Denver should go for it. I think that there there is no reason to not. Like, if they do go for it and they fail, and you see you know that you're not going to make it in those last couple of games, then you can rest people in those last couple of games. You can rest Nikola Jokic. Give him those couple days. But for now, you try to win. You try to put yourself into a good position where you can manipulate the standings to your favor. There is no shame in that especially with Murray out. No shame in that whatsoever. It's going to be interesting to monitor these playoff standings for the next couple days. Uh, they could shift and, and just shake as much as possible. I am looking forward to seeing how Denver handles it, how all of these teams handle it. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. We'll be back tomorrow recapping the Toronto Raptors game over the Nev- against the Denver Nuggets. We'll see how that one goes. I, I, I hope Denver can win that. Nikola Jokic has an advantage. He should be able to dominate. We will see. That is going to do it. I'll talk to you guys very soon. Thank you.